welcome everybody at all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. Way to go. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online around the country and world. It's great to have you join us as well today. Welcome, everyone. It's great to be back. Uh, some of you might have noticed I've been gone for a few weeks. Others of you are like, who's the new guy? <laughs> I'm actually the old guy, and I've been off working on a book, but it's great to be back. In fact, the other morning, I, I went out onto my back deck, and I just prayed this prayer out loud to God. God, may this be my very best year ever. May it be my best year of teaching and leading. May it, may it be my best year of, of loving people genuinely and leading people to faith in you. May this be our very best year as a church, I prayed to God. I think it will be. In fact, uh, we're off to a great start. But actually, last year was our very best year as a church. Uh, some of you know that we opened our Anoka campus back in March. And this is a shot of that first day. Every service, four services, people were in the lobby. That's not even in the worship center, but they were gathered there. 6,500 people came to that opening weekend in Anoka. Debt-free, by the way, we paid for that campus. We started online church a few weeks back. And that's been uh, really exciting for us. And I want to show you a number uh, on the side screens. That number right there, 3,330, are the number of people who made a decision to follow Jesus Christ during this last year through our church. And I think that's something to really applaud, if you would. That's what it's all about for us, making a commitment to following Christ. And so for those of you who did that this past year, we're so excited for you. I want to give some credit, though, to those, uh, to my staff, uh, Jason and John, the past few weekends have been so good. Last few weekends, Jason Strand is just uh, amazing as he teaches. I'm also so proud of all of our musicians, campus-wide, children's staff, tech people that show up and volunteer, youth uh, workers, volunteers that make our church so, so great. Uh, four weeks ago, yeah, thank you. Appreciate you saying that, doing that. Four weeks ago, two, now catch this, 250 high school students traveled to Baltimore to serve those who are under-resourced. High school kids, 250 of them, just a few weeks ago. Last week, over 1,000 middle school students filled our Lionel Lakes campus. Again, 1,000 middle school students, three nights in a row, 127 of those students made a decision to follow Christ for the first time in their life. And three weeks ago, 925 people were baptized out of Lake Johanna. And again, that just doesn't happen. It was an epic day. So 925 people said, I'm done with the old life. I'm going to bury it in a watery grave. And I'm going to start living a brand new life in Christ. So congratulations to all of you who are making commitments to Jesus Christ, to following him and serving him. It's been a great summer already, but I need to say a couple of things about uh, August and September. Uh, next week, we start a series called The Invitation. It's all about how God invites every single one of us into a relationship, a personal relationship with him, where we actually speak with him, and he speaks to us by his spirit. Then right after Labor Day, we start a great series called Made for More. Made for More, it's about how to find your purpose in life, how to reach your fullest potential. I, there's not a person on the planet who doesn't want to know their purpose in life. Why are you here? Why am I supposed, what am I supposed to do with my life, my one and only life? So made for more, starting right after Labor Day, I want to challenge all of you to invite, to begin thinking about praying about two or three people in your life who you intersect 
you know, on a daily basis or weekly basis to invite them, pray for them, and look for an opportunity to invite them for that first weekend, September 9th and 10th, made for more. It's going to be that good. But today, the final message in our series, I don't get it. And there's a lot of things I don't get. I don't get math, for example. But really, who needs it? You know, I, I don't need math. I don't get that some people don't like coffee. I'm trying to introduce coffee to my two-year-old granddaughter, and her parents hate me for this, but you got to get them going young. I mean, the smell and taste of coffee is a gift from God, okay? I don't get how some people don't like They like tea. I mean, come on. I don't get wireless. I don't. I mean, we were in Missouri, my wife and I, driving home from visiting my daughter and son-in-law, it was 9 o'clock Sunday morning. We were driving home Sunday morning, and my wife touched a little icon on her, on her phone, and bloop, up pops our live worship service, which, by the way, is miraculous that my wife was able to find that in the first, because she's, you know, it's hopeless on the phone. But they're, they're in the middle of Missouri, middle of Missouri, inside my truck, traveling at 70-some miles an hour. We watched our live worship service. No wires. No cables, just invisible signals sent from Lionel Lakes, bounced off a satellite right into my truck on my wife's phone, and she watched. I listened to the whole thing in high definition. I get why it works. You can talk to me all day long about why. I get that. But it should not work. <laughs> Without a cable, cord, gas, you know, something, a trigger attached to it. Another thing I don't get, and, I, and I'm not envious of this person, by the way. I'm not jealous. I don't feel threatened. But I don't get how Jason Strand could stand on this stage and deliver a 35-minute message by memory. I don't get that. He's got other flaws. I mean, big-time flaws. We office together, and I, you know, I can't even tell you about it. Believe me. But I could spend three weeks trying to memorize my message, and I would never be able to do it. And people are amazed by this ability that he has. At the baptism a couple weeks ago, Jason and I were standing together, and a group of people came up to us and asked if they could take a picture. So I said, sure. So I started to get into position with them. They said, no, 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 no. We want it with Jason. <laughs> they had me take their phones and take their pictures with Jason like he's something special on a stick, and I'm just the camera guy. I don't get that. <laughs> There's something very wrong about that whole thing. Anyway, but what a lot of people don't get, what I want to talk to you about today is how God works in your life, my life. Sometimes I don't get it. I grew up around church and faith all my life. My dad was a pastor, so Bible reading and prayer were an everyday thing for me, but most of my younger years, I did not get this. In fact, I would listen to people pray you know, I'd, I'd hear him talk about how God spoke to them or healed them or appeared to them in a dream, but I'm telling you, none of those things ever happened to me. In fact, I have never heard God's audible voice. I've never seen God appear to me in a vision or a dream. I can sit in a worship service at times, and I can get very emotional as if God is right there, and other times, I don't feel a thing, and I don't get it. There are times when I have prayed over a matter and the prayer is so specific that when God answers it, it has to be him. 
because it was so specific and unusual. Other times I'll pray a prayer about something equally specific and nothing ever happens as if God isn't even there. So I don't get it. I don't get how God works sometimes. I don't get how he speaks, heals certain people and other people he doesn't or leads us or leads us sometimes, but I know that he does those things. And there are certain times, there are certain times when God wants to work in your life and it can be a game changer. In fact, just before Jesus left planet earth, he said this to his followers, the father will give you a counselor when I leave. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all the truth, and you know him, the Holy Spirit. He lives with you and will be in you. Jesus said that God's Spirit is with you. God's Spirit actually lives inside you if you're a believer. And God's Spirit will work in your life and lead you and guide you into all the truth. A few years ago, I felt especially vulnerable and uncertain because I was driving up to a cabin near Hayward, Wisconsin to start a book, and it's always a very daunting, scary thing for me. It's my first evening away, and I felt very unsure, wondering if, you know, the topic was right. Is God in it? Was he there? That evening, I sat down in an, evening, in an easy chair next to a large bay of windows to read and pray before I went to bed. And my prayer ended with these words, God, I could really use some sort of sign that you're with me right now. Just give me some sort of sign that you're with me and you're for me and that you're going to lead me. As soon as I ended my prayer, I looked up, I saw some movement out the window and right outside my window was a bear a black bear, three feet out, standing on the deck, right through the window, right there, looking in at me. My exact words were a freaking bear. So I just didn't know why. He strolled past my window, stood up on his hind legs, and swatted a hummingbird feeder off the window. It was awesome. It was unbelievable. What are the odds, though? You think of this. What are the odds? At the exact moment when I prayed for God to send me a sign, I hadn't seen a black bear in 20 years in the wild. What are the odds that he would send this animal, stroll right past my, and stare right in at me? I think it was God's way of saying, Bob, I'm just going to send you a little thrill just to let you know I'm with you. It's all I needed to get going. But how does God work? How does God speak to us and guide us? I want to show you three conditions that I think are necessary, need to be in place for God to work in your life, because when it happens, it can be a spiritual turning point that will change everything for the good in your life. By the way, if you're a person who reads the Bible and prays on a regular basis, God will nudge you by his spirit. He will speak to you by his spirit and connect with you on a daily basis. But there will be a few times, maybe one or two or just maybe three times in your life when God wants to completely redirect your life and speak something so specific and important into your life that you need to get it. And God will show up. And uh, this, is, this is what happened with, with the woman in John chapter 4. This woman came to the well at noon in the heat of the day because she had been divorced five times and she was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. And she never came with the other women in the cool morning because she didn't belong in that club. She knew it. So she walked alone in the hot sun. 
She had no real friends except for the men who kind of passed through her life, and now she was on to number six. Tried six times, failed six times. It was just another hot day and another lonely walk for this gal to the well, but she would never forget this day because instead of getting her jar filled, she was about to get her heart filled. Jesus' disciples were shocked when they saw him talking to her because she was a member of the hated mixed race, the Samaritans. Jews did not talk to or associate with Samaritans, and Jewish men never talked to women in public, especially a woman like this. Even the woman was shocked when Jesus engaged her in conversation, and she said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, gang, imagine this moment. Of all the people on the planet, of all the women in that town, she got to have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus. Think of that moment. She was three feet away from God himself. She sees God's face. She hears God's voice and feels God's love. She's never met another man like him because there is no other like him. So she asked Jesus why he's asking for her for a drink. And Jesus responded and said, if you knew who I am, you would actually ask me for a drink. And I would give you a kind of living water. People soon become thirsty, Jesus said, after drinking this water from the well. But the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring of living water within them. And this woman is a little confused. She thinks he's talking about normal, everyday water. And so she responds and says, please, sir, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to keep coming back to this lousy well. But of course, Jesus wasn't talking about physical thirst. He was talking about spiritual and relational thirst, and that if she just opened her life to him, he could satisfy every thirst that she had for wholeness and relationships and peace and joy. She's been thirsting and chasing after something her entire life. By the way, we all do this. I do it. We all chase after things that we think will ultimately satisfy us and fill us. But then we come to the end of our chase and Jesus shows up. And he sits by the well. And he says, if you're tired of chasing, I can satisfy your longings and quench your thirst. I can give you a new kind of love. I can give you a new kind of peace. I can give you a joy that the world cannot give you if you allow me to work. Jesus told her that he knew about her five failed marriages, that she was living with number six. But he didn't shame her. He didn't scold her. She came to the well to quench her thirst for water, and there she met a man who could quench her thirst for wholeness. And I want to just call a quick time out and raise a question. What do you do when God meets you at the well? 
It doesn't happen very often, like I said, maybe once or twice in your lifetime. But what will you do when you sense God speaking to you about a very, very specific issue in your life or lifestyle? What will you do? She could have walked away and said, you know, I'm not interested. My life's not perfect, but I'm going to live it my way. Instead, she left her empty jar sitting there at the well. She ran back toward town, and she shouted to anybody who would listen, come, meet a man who told me everything I did. Could he be the Messiah? She had heard about a Messiah. Could he be the one to set us free and fill our lives? Because when God, gang, I'm telling you, when God meets you, when he meets you at the well or in your dorm room or on your jogging route or on your commute home and he wants to work in your life, you actually have a choice. Will you respond to him? Will you turn toward him? Or will you walk away and say, thanks, no thanks, I'm going to keep living my life my, my way. You have a choice in the matter. And maybe some of you are at that crossroad today. If you've come to the same empty place you've come to a thousand times before and God meets you there, what will you do? It, it can be your spiritual turning point that will change your life for good forever. Never again would this woman look to another person to fill the void in her life that only God can fill. But I see three conditions that are necessary for God to work in someone's life. And the first condition is this. You actually have to be open to God's work in your life. You can't be closed off in your spirit. You say, God, I'm open. Will you work in my life? Will you speak to me? I mean, who knows what sent this woman down the path of relational failure? Maybe one or both of her parents abandoned her when she was young. And so she just latches on to anybody who will show her affection you know, maybe she's got good reason to be angry at God or just reject him altogether. But when Jesus said that he knew everything about her and that he still valued her as a person, she felt something that she had never felt before. And she wondered to herself, could this be the one? Could this be the one to set me free and fill my life? Could this be, in fact, God himself? She didn't know. But she was open. A few years ago, I was on vacation trying to stay out of sight a little bit. So I told my wife we would slip into the 4 o'clock service at church and then try to leave just as soon as possible. But after the service, I noticed there was a man standing off to the side, and he looked like he wanted to talk. But I'd already made the decision to just leave and keep going. But the closer I got to him, I sensed this unmistakable nudge by God's Spirit Bob, pay attention. Pay attention to this man. I want to work through you. So I went over to him and I, I introduced myself. And the first words out of his mouth was, I've been coming to this church for four weeks. I love it, but I'm just not sure about it. I said, well, what are you not sure about? He said, you know about the whole God and Jesus thing. I'm just not sure about it. I thought, no problem. I'll lead this guy to faith in Christ and then we're out of here. Okay. So I had him sit down, I grabbed a Bible, I showed him Romans 3.23, 6.23, Romans 10.9 and 10. I explained the weight of salvation with crystal clarity, and then I said to him, how about if I lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus in your life right now? 
He said, I don't think I'm ready. I thought, how can you not be ready? But what I said was, well, what do you mean by that? You're not ready. He said, I have all these questions. Like, how can I be sure there's a God? And if there is a God, how come there's so much evil? And how do you know if there's a heaven or hell? And I'm like, I'm on vacation. <laughs> these are theological questions that people have written books on. And I'm just trying to go home. But again, as clear as I'm speaking to you right now, God's spirit spoke to my spirit and reminded me that this guy's whole eternity hung in the balance and that I needed to stay open to God's leading and sit there as long as it took. Half hour later, he still wasn't ready and to, to pray a prayer to receive Jesus. But I, but I led him to a book called The Case for Christ. If you're seeking or searching for answers, it's a great book by Lee Strobel. He promised to read that. I said, God is working on you. I said, keep coming to church. Read this book. And whenever you're ready, you just let me know. Chase me down and we'll pray a prayer. We'll lead you in a prayer of faith. Four weeks later, he drove up to our office. He didn't even care to see me. He just wanted to see somebody. And one of our pastors led him to faith in Christ through this prayer. And I'll tell you what, what if, what if we hadn't been open? My spirit needed to be open and his spirit needed to be open. And God worked a miracle in that guy's life that changed him forever. Friends, you got to stay open to God's work. Second condition that's so important. Often you have to leave something behind. This is so important. You know, the day the lady came to the well, every day she came with her empty jar, and every day she carried it back home with water that would never last, except this day. Every day except this day, and this day she left her water jar, her empty jar at the well. It's the first time she'd ever done that. Because in order for God to work in your life, sometimes you need to leave something behind. I want to ask a very important question for you to think about today. Online, all over the world, all over campuses here in Twin City. Very important question. Is there something you need to leave behind for God to work in your life? If you rarely see or sense God working in your life, if you don't experience this this love, joy, peace, and power that I'm talking about. Is there something you need to leave behind? Is there a habit or a sin, person, possession, or pursuit that you need to leave behind so that God can fill you with his love and his purposes? Jerry and Cindy Landon were so sick and tired of their outdoor swimming pool. The day Jerry and Cindy Landon left their swimming pool behind, they got their life back. I'm not against swimming pools. But Cindy said every day they had to maintain the pool. And every spring when they opened it up, they had to clean it and fix it. And they got all kinds of fights and arguments over this thing. So they buried it with a bulldozer. No kidding. Hired a bulldozer, buried it. And it set them free. They were free from the pool, from the headache. They had to leave it behind. For some of you, it's a group of friends. And you know it. There's a group of friends that are not good for you, and you've got to leave them behind. There's an addiction for some of you. When will you get help for that? That addiction is keeping you 
from experiencing the fullness of God in your life. Maybe it's social media that just drives your life. And that's, you know, there's great things about, so, and there's just terrible things about social media. Maybe for some of you, it's a certain lifestyle. Is there something in your life, in my life, that we need to just leave at the well, finally leave it there for God to fill us? There's a final condition necessary for God to work, and that's to come out of hiding. If there's something hidden, you got to come out of hiding. I love that, you know, Jesus just casually says, well, I know you're, you've had five husbands, and, you know, the guy you're living with isn't your husband, and, and she takes off her town, and she shouts, come meet a man who told me everything I did. And I think this was her moment of freedom. Because that which was hidden, Jesus exposed. And she became free. Let me tell you about Sarah. Sarah, star student, open about her faith, outwardly pretty. In her sophomore year in college, she was runner-up to Miss Minnesota. True story. But inside, she was miserable because she was anorexic and bulimic and was dangerously thin. From age 17 to 21, four years, she kept it all hidden. But that forced her into a prison of loneliness and shame that she couldn't escape. Occasionally, a friend would ask her if she was okay, but she would brush it off, say she was fine, but she wasn't fine. She said, I felt completely dead inside. The main driver to Sarah's eating disorder was perfectionism, because when your standard is perfection. Nothing's ever good enough. You're not thin enough, pretty enough, accomplished enough. She said there's never a stopping point because there's always more calories you can burn. There's always more weight you can lose. But keeping the secret hidden was crushing her. One day in August, between Sarah's sophomore and junior year of college, she was at home with her family. And that was the day she had a spiritual turning point that changed the rest of her life in a great direction. She and her family had planned kind of a family fun day that included a bike ride and a barbecue to follow. But she said, you know, a family bike ride should be fun. But the whole time I was obsessing about how many calories I was burning. I was kind of dreading the barbecue, you know, worried about what kind of food we were going to be eating. There wasn't anything I could do to generate a sense of joy or contentment. Here it was. I was on vacation, August, at home. I should have been happy, and I wasn't. And then she said this, and I wrote these words down for word. That was the day when I had a vivid encounter with God, and I know the exact time and place. By the way, God will often do that. You'll, you'll be able to point to a place and time. She said, I was in my bedroom feeling completely defeated and beaten down. I was reading a book called The Search for Significance, and I remember saying to myself, my life has no significance. And in that moment, all my loneliness and shame, the weight of four years of badness came crashing down on me and I cried and I cried. I couldn't breathe. I was crying so hard. It was my breaking point. But it was also my turning point. Sarah said she was reading her Bible that day and she read a verse from Psalm 40 that she said, I'll never forget. God lifted me out of the slimy pit he set my feet on a rock. He gave me a place to stand. And Sarah said, that was me. 
I was in this slimy pit, and I knew in that moment that God was speaking directly to me through this psalm. Sarah emerged from her bedroom. She knew she had to tell someone, so the next day she told one of her best friends, and that was the beginning of her freedom. Then she told her family, and then she she got Christian counseling for three years because it's not enough just to pray a prayer and kind of hope it goes away. You got to dig into this, whatever the issue might be. She said, when you bring something to light that's been hidden, it breaks the shame and loses its power. But she said there was one more person who she needed to tell. She had met a Christian young man who was one year ahead of her in school and neither was really looking for a relationship. But after a couple of dates, a budding something began, romance, I guess. But one night she said she needed to come over to tell him something, so they went downstairs in his parents' home. And through lots of tears, Sarah told him about her eating disorder and that if he wanted to break it off with her, that she would understand. The young man put his arms around her, assured her of his love, and that he would support her for as long as it took to become healthy. And the reason I know about all this is because that young man was my son. And three years later, Sarah became David's wife. And I love her. We love her. And I love their marriage. She is our amazing daughter-in-law, and now she is the mother of our first grandson, Henry Robert. Robert. Henry Robert Merritt. I'm going to call him Hammer and Hank. <laughs> we are so blessed as a family. We talk about God's blessing and his favor on our family all the time. David and Sarah said that none of this would have happened. Marriage wouldn't have happened. Baby wouldn't have happened. None of this would have happened had she not listened to God at the well. And so every day, she has to leave this empty jar at the well every day to trust God to fill her with his love, she says. And gang, as we close all campuses and online today, I want to ask you a question. Is there anyone here who needs to leave something at the well and come out of hiding? God knows all about it. Will you be honest with it with him? Anybody here need to leave something at the well and get your soul filled I love what David wrote in Psalm 62. He says, my soul finds rest in God alone. Not in any other person. Not in any other possession. Not in any number or money. Not in how good I look or how strong I can build my body, my soul, gang. My soul finds rest in God alone. So is your soul at rest today?
or is it all churned up and twisted up and full of anxiety and full of anger and full of grief? Is your soul at rest? Or is there something you need to leave at the well today so that God can fill you? If God is speaking to you right now about a habit or a sin or an obsession, person, or pursuit that you've just been chasing and chasing and chasing, is it time for you to stop chasing and leave it at the well with Christ? Today can be your spiritual turning point. And so at all campuses, I want to just invite all of you to stand for closing prayer. Those of you watching online, you can join us in a spirit of prayer. Is today the day that you leave something behind so that God can fill you? For some of you, it's just busyness. You don't know what to do unless something is always on. You're always busy running all over the place and, and you've squeezed God out. For some of you, it's entertainment, and you just got to be entertained from 24-7. Something always got to be on. It's squeezing God. For some of you, it's just flat-out money. Nothing wrong with money. We all need it. But is it taking the place of your pursuit of God? For some of you, it's a hidden sin or obsession. Maybe it's a relationship that is not good for you. For some of you, it's regret or shame over something that you did in your past. Will you leave that today? I think Jesus invites you to leave that regret at the well because he loves you. He extends forgiveness to you. You don't have to carry that anymore. Leave it there. God, fill your spirit, your life. Let's pray together real quick. Father, thank you for this moment of prayer. I pray now that as people think about what they might need to leave behind, I pray that you'll reveal that to them. Reveal it to me. God, for me, it's anxiety. I struggle with it every day. Every day, I've got to leave anxiety at the well and ask you every day to fill me with your love and confidence. God, right now, right here, all around the world and country, in our campuses, I pray that people will be thinking about what they need to leave and then just, God, give them the strength and wisdom to turn away from that, turn toward you. Thank you for loving us in this moment. Thank you for forgiving us for everything we've done. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer today, come on down. We have people that are willing to pray with you. God bless you. It's been great to be with all of you today.